Hey guys, Cam here. Just wanted to let you all know that this week's episode of Arnigeddon was recorded before the COVID-19 scare really hit BC in a big way. So ultimately we didn't have another episode lined up to record quickly after. So it looks like we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus. Tony and I are both isolating ourselves to our own homes right now and won't be able to get together to record something cool for a little while. And uh, ultimately, that's not a big deal, you know, in the scheme of things, but I know that people depend on podcasts, I do for sure, and we have not forgotten you guys, we will have episodes out when we can, Uh, but until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, until we can all get back to the podcast chopper. your kingdom. I want your head. Welcome to Arnigeddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on Conan the Barbarian. 2011. That's right. No Arnie this week. We're going to talk about a little fellow named Jason Momoa. A young up-and-comer. Who's looking to step into the foot boots. <laughs> As opposed <laughs> to other types of boots. Of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I think you mean footprints. <laughs> Or boots. It depends. Barbarians will wear both as the situation arises. And they leave large footprints. That's true. So, And there are very big footprints to fill. Let's leave this one behind. <laughs> so yes, we are talking about Conan 2011, a remake that I remember a lot of anger for at the time of its release. I remember reading a lot of... You know, film blogs and everything. I was going to say anger by you or anger no, by others? No, not by me. Not by me. I was more indifferent, but I just remember a lot of film blogs were really pissed off about this remake. I'm curious, were you pissed off at the time when it was announced? When it was announced or when it was released? And the, Well, the first time you heard about it, that it was happening. No, not at all. I was excited. Okay, okay. So you didn't have that sort of incensed feeling of like... They can't do this without Schwarzenegger. They can't do this without John Milius. This is an embarrassment. No, not at all. In fact, Schwarzenegger, at the time this was released, I mean, he had gone into politics. And before that, there had been a lot of talk about making a third Conan movie, Conan the King or something like that, or King Conan. And it just never happened. They're still talking about it. I don't think it will happen. I think in the wake of Dark Fate tanking, There is zero chance of a Conan movie now. Yeah, I I seriously doubt it. But Conan is such an awesome property. We've talked about that before on this podcast. Uh, He does well across all types of medium. And why not have a different actor playing Conan? Right, because we haven't really talked about this in the past. But, um, you know, we talked about the first two Conan movies, the two Arnold Schwarzenegger ones. We talked about Red Sonja. We talked about Call the Conqueror as well. But there was... This kind of Conan rebirth in the 90s where you had the uh, animated series. You also had the live action series, which you watched. Yeah, have you seen the animated series? I have not seen either. Oh, the the live action show, you can kind of take or leave. Uh, The animated series, as far as 
uh, Sword and Sorcery children's animated television series go is fantastic. It's it's really good. Right. And it does seem like a property to me that's just like ripe for giving it some new energy and basically rebooting it for a new audience because, I mean, how many stories are there by Robert E. Howard? And how many comic books? There's countless. That's right. And it lends itself so well to a motion picture medium. If for no other reason than you've got... Uh, piles and piles of comic books by Roy Thomas, who's a fantastic writer and adapted a lot of Robert E. Howard's uh, work. So you basically already have your storyboard done. Right, yeah. And I can't help but wonder if the reason that this 2011 Conan really got moving was because you had, like, the Clash of the Titans remake coming out in, like, 2010 and doing a lot of money, like, making a lot of money. And I just wonder how much was then that push and pull to get the sword and sorcery movies going again. This was a bit of a sword and sorcery boom around this time, right? Because you had uh, Clash of the Titans, uh, Prince of Persia was released uh, oh. the year before, which oh, yeah. wasn't great. No, none of these movies were very good. Yeah. Was there a good one? There was Pathfinder. That's right. Pathfinder was by the same director, although I don't know if it had the cultural impact that they <laughs> wanted it to. Only with us. But there was a lot of these also ran fantasy movies um i mean obviously the harry potter scene was sure big for children and there was a lot of uh movies like that with like narnia and the sorcerer's apprentice and beowulf <laughs> beowulf of, yeah. co of course the robert zemeckis beowulf less less for less for children and then there was uh i mean the immortals was probably the one that was released pretty contemporaneously with this one don't forget 300 and the 300, of course. 300 has to have been the one that really kick-started the craze. Because that movie was a huge hit. You also have to give a lot of credit to Lord of the Rings as well. Oh, for sure. For opening the door for fantasy just across the board. But then, when you had 300 come out, that was such a massive hit and a huge phenomenon. It launched a bunch of actors. Michael Fassbender, Gerard Butler, Lena Headley. And it had so many iconic moments. Zack Snyder got a huge boost off that movie. So you have to imagine that Hollywood was like, wait, how much did 300 cost? Oh, not very much? We can do that too. Yeah, it was kind of like the uh, horror movie with swords, right? Yeah. Uh, where you can make these cheap, you can make them with kind of unknown actors, which we can talk about when we talk about this Conan movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it gives the audiences the payoff that they're looking for. At least, <laughs> at least it gives me what I'm looking for <laughs> in a movie, generally. Which is barbarians. Barbarians, uh, decapitations. Because they're so cheap, you don't have to worry about them being R-rated. Right. Uh, so, you know, feel free to have someone take off their clothes and then cut an arm off while you're at it. So I am curious, in 2011, when you saw this movie, I assume you went to the theater to see it? Of course I did. Were you opening night? Uh, I can't remember if I was opening night, but I definitely saw it in the theater. And what were your thoughts at the time? I remember being a little bit disappointed when I came out. Uh, I thought that the movie actually hit the right notes in a lot of places, but it suffered from what a lot of movies since, you know, basically Jurassic Park have suffered from, which is just needless CG, which negatively if affected the the pacing of the movie and negatively affected how the movie looked. Yeah, and I felt similarly. Um, did you go with people? Like, did you have a group that you went and saw it with? 
Uh, I I imagine I did. I don't I don't see a lot of movies by myself. I know you're a bigger fan of that than I am. <laughs> right. By circumstance more than choice is what I hear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I went and saw this one on my own. I remember it was like a afternoon summer matinee because this movie was released in August, I believe. And um, I remember just not enjoying this movie. I don't think I walked out like angry or anything. I just remember. Um, with you you know the the seat the crappy cg just like the murky visuals and we should also note that this movie was released in 3d so i would have seen it in crappy post-production 3d so however weak the visuals may look on your tv they looked infinitely worse in the theater and i just remember it being kind of like a murky joyless experience to watch and i walked out just kind of shrugging it was not a movie that i like hated but i just kind of was like whatever Mm-hmm. Do you remember the 3D on this one? I don't remember the 3D. Uh, I, I definitely remember... Uh, I mean, we just watched this movie. Yeah. And there are scenes in the movie that I didn't like this time that I remember not liking right. at the time. Which is says a lot about a fairly forgettable movie. <laughs> That's quite true, yeah. <laughs> I pretty much completely forgot about this movie after seeing it. Like, I, It was erased from my memory and I thought... Why would I ever, ever, ever see this movie again? I don't need to know this one. But here we are. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about the year it's released, which is 2011. Uh, summer movie, kind of during the sleepy months of the summer. This is just a little, little bit before August becomes like a viable month. Once Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, came out in August of 2014, that was very much a signal that, hey, we can actually make money this month. And then like Straight Outta Compton did really well. There was a number of August releases that did really well. And, and nowadays, I mean, when you think about it, there's really not that many dead months. No, not at all. Maybe January, but even then you've got the Oscar movies. Yeah. But uh, the, at this time in 2011, August is still a sleepy month. And uh, Conan the Barbarian came out then. It had a budget of $90 million. And domestically, it made $21 million. Not great. International, it made $42 million. A little bit better, but still people are losing their jobs. And worldwide, it made $64 million total. So uh, I'm sure the sequel will do better, right, Cam? <laughs> sure, I'm still waiting for it. Um, it was number 122 for the year. Ouch. Right between Dreamhouse and The Three Musketeers. Which Three Musketeers? <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent question. The Paul W.S. Anderson one with like the airships and Orlando Bloom. It was uh, really terrible. I think it was my least favorite movie of that year. It made my worst. I think it was number one. Uh, I don't think I saw it. Okay. It I, was, I also didn't see Dream... Dream House. Dream House. I'd never even heard of it. Now, I'm thinking there's the movie called The Lake House with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. I don't remember what Dream House was. Uh, I, uh, you got me. Whatever it was... You, you could tell me anything. <laughs> whatever it was, it did a little bit better than Conan. For comparison's sake, though, let's look at the other Conan movies. So, this one does domestic 21 million, I said. I don't have international numbers for some of the Conan sequels, so we're just going to go with domestic. So, $21 million domestic for Conan 2011. Now, the original Conan made $40 million in 1982 dollars. Conan the Destroyer did $31 million in 1984 dollars. And now, Red Sonja, you know, kind of fake Conan did $6.9 million in, what, $85. So this is kind of the Red Sonia of 2011. It really is. It's a real underperformer, big time. Like, 
when you were not even really getting close to spitting distance of movies that were released in 1984. Which is too bad, because uh, of those movies, I'll, I'll say this much at least, uh, Conan 2011 uh, is a better movie than Red Sonja. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> it's longer. <laughs> that's a, a mark against it that's longer, I think. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get into that a little later. We just have low attention spans. True enough. Uh, so let's just look at the year that was, the top 10 domestic for that year. I tell you, Tony, we have not covered this year to the best of my memory, but I look at this top 10 and it looks the same as a lot of the top 10s we've covered. Yeah, well, we probably wouldn't have covered this year because there was no Arnold movie this year. He no. was still in politics. And or... yet, listen to this top 10 and tell me this doesn't sound really familiar. So at number one, you had Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows 2. A Harry Potter movie in the top ten? We haven't seen that before. Number two, Transformers Dark of the Moon. Oh, a franchise film sequel? Yeah. I haven't seen that before. Number three, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1. <laughs> There's a lot of Twilight movies in the years we've covered as well. <laughs> number four, The Hangover Part 2. Oh, uh, comedy sequel? <laughs> number five, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. I think we already covered uh, franchise sequels. <laughs> Number six, Fast Five. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Number seven, Cars 2. Oh, a Disney movie, also <laughs> a sequel. Number eight, Thor. <laughs> Carry on. Number nine, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, gosh, eh? That's my, probably my favorite movie on this list. Uh, and number ten, Captain America First Avenger. Geez, what a depressing year. Like, in the future, when they take a look at, you know, this year in film, uh, you know, people are just going to shrug their shoulders because it's a pretty, pretty blah year, isn't it? It really is. When I'm looking at this list, like, there's some good ones. Like, I liked Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows 2. I liked uh, uh, Thor, and I liked Captain America, and I liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But And Fast Five was pretty good, too, but... None of these movies are all-timers. No, they're not. And I mean, yeah, it's just, ugh. This, this looks like a list that was written by studio executives, like, rubbing their hands together. This reads like a list created by a computer algorithm trying to predict what a box office year was in the teens. Probably the same algorithm that was used by the movie executive I was referencing in earlier. True enough. Now let's look at some of the other movies that were released this year. Um, at number 37, Battle Los Angeles. Remember that one? Yeah, I do. <laughs> number 38 a movie you referenced earlier immortals yep i did not like immortals um i haven't seen it since 2011 but i remember not really liking it either i remember thinking this movie is not fun and, yeah and mickey rourke <laughs> is a lunatic mickey rourke was actually up for the role of conan's father in this movie i did read that yes. yeah he was better off in Immortals, I think. <laughs> uh, number 52, Unknown, a Liam Neeson action movie. Lots of those. Uh, is Unknown the title? <laughs> it's, I think or, this, the, or the description? This is the forgotten one. <laughs> the uh, unknown one. <laughs> number 62, another nostalgia grab, kind of like Conan in many ways, was Tron Legacy. Right, which people hated. It was uh, terrible. I loved it. I, <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it in IMAX. I thought it was fantastic. Good score, good visuals, terrible, terrible, terrible script and performances. 
<laughs> Number 95, Sucker Punch, the Zack Snyder film. This one's notorious. Yeah, that one wasn't very good. It looked like it was going to be great, but it really wasn't. We got some back-to-back Jason Stathams here. At number 106, The Mechanic, which was not very good. Eh. And number 111, Killer Elite. Better than The Mechanic. Yeah, it was. It was. It's like the forgotten Jason Statham, though, because it's like a uh, Robert De Niro co-starring movie, and no one remembers a Jason Statham Robert De Niro movie. Yeah, that's true. And then at number 130, another nostalgia attempt, a bit of a reboot. They branded it as a prequel, but it's a total reboot. The Thing. I can't believe that's that low on the list, actually. The Thing was not successful. Well, neither was the first one. (laughs) And also notable, way, 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 way down at number 227, a little movie called Dylan Dog, Dead of Night, which may not mean anything to you. You're right. But it was written by two of the writers of this Conan the Barbarian film. It was a Brandon Routh, uh, I think, kind of horror action movie. And it was like a notorious bomb that year. Well, I don't know. So these guys have two movies in the top 1,000 movies this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that would be Thomas Dean Donnelly and Joshua Oppenheimer, who wrote the earliest draft of this Conan. Uh, Then they were rewritten later by a guy named Sean Hood, but... The initial two wrote, yeah, Dylan Dog. They also wrote the notorious Ben Kingsley bomb, Sound of Thunder. And they also wrote the Clive Cussler adaptation, Sahara, a movie that I quite enjoy. If you say so, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, this Conan, it definitely was an interesting movie to revisit. Now, Tony, we just finished rewatching it. You went into this one, I think, with fairly low expectations, right? Yeah, I, I was just assuming that memory would serve me correct. And did it? Um, more or less. Uh, I mean, I think it's... If you're a fan of sword and sorcery movies, I think this one's worth picking up, uh, grabbing a couple beers with your friends, and putting it on uh, You know, while you have conversations about other things. It's that kind of a movie. Right. I don't know if I'd want to do my master's thesis in film on this movie. Sure. You'd probably <laughs> fail. <laughs> But it definitely, it confirmed basically what I had thought when I initially saw it, which is that this movie is a bit of a missed opportunity. I think that they hit a lot of the notes well. I think that the some of the acting is really good, but they just didn't quite hit where it needed to, especially in the third act. I am very curious because this is a question that I am unable to answer. How close was this to the Robert E. Howard stories that you are a real student of? You've read a lot of them. I wouldn't call myself a student of. <laughs> <laughs> a student. Uh, a master yeah, at this point. I've read it, I've read a lot of them. I mean, close enough. Right. You know, it's it's hard to say, right? I mean, how much of, uh, how much of this is Robert E. Howard? How much of this is studio executive? And how much of this is... Uh, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger knockoff. It's just a different type of Conan than Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Right. But, I mean, the character of Conan in the Robert E. Howard books and stories is, I mean, not a particularly emotive character. He wasn't writing those stories for a movie adaptation. So it's really tough to say. I know a lot of people have said, this is really true to the source material. I don't really see it as being any truer to the source material than say, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan, for example. Now, I noticed with the credits, it says character of Conan credited to Robert E. Howard. Are any of the other characters 
based on comic book characters at least or anything? Or are they all just originals for the movie so they don't have to pay residuals or anything like that? Uh, as far as I know, they're all are just originals for the movie. Like, this was not taken from either a Robert E. Howard story, as far as I'm aware, or one of the other stories that was written after Robert E. Howard, especially by Roy Thomas, who did a lot of the Marvel comic, Savage sort of Conan and Conan the Barbarian adaptations. They do reference some of the Robert E. Howard stories in this movie. At one point, Conan's pirate buddy Artis uh, says, oh, he found Conan as a lad slashing pockets in Zamora. And, you know, and then he stole the elephant's heart and slew the sorcerer Yara, which is a reference to the first Conan story by Robert E. Howard. Okay. That's interesting. Or I just, one of the first, I should say. I always wonder, though, like, when they create a movie like this, when you have just buckets and buckets and buckets of source material to draw on, why don't they use any of it, really? I don't know. I gotta believe that maybe that has something to do with the pre-production in this film, because, I mean, the rights to Conan the Barbarian are pretty messy. Yes. They're owned by this company, Paragon, or Paragon Entertainment, And as far as I can tell, their entire business model is laying dubious claims to probably public (laughs) domain uh, intellectual property and then leasing them out at exorbitant rates to movie studios. Right. And this movie was like in development forever. Warner Brothers was looking at doing a Conan movie, probably a much higher budget one even. Um, They wanted to uh, develop one for... The Wachowskis, John Milius, Robert Rodriguez, Boaz Yakin, uh, and they were working on it for like seven years, could not get anything off the ground. Um, And then Millennium bought the rights for seven figures and then worked with Paragon to make this thing. And uh, they announced Brett Ratner as the director in 2008. Yeah, he didn't like that. No, and he was like, what are you talking about? I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) So then they wound up, yeah, with Marcus Nispel. And... This one's actually kind of interesting. Marcus Nispel is a director who's not good, but no. He's... The, the, you look at the movies that he's done, and every single one of them is is one of those movies where you know they had Bruce Willis on set for four days, kind of movies. Yeah, well, it's just or, like or knockoff sword and sorcery stuff, and like horror movies. Yeah, because he's most notable for doing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which isn't very good. Um, the Friday the 13th remake, which isn't very good, Pathfinder, which we talked about earlier, um, and just, he was mostly known for music videos. He worked with artists like Puff Daddy, Spice Girls, No Doubt, Cher, Mariah Carey, Elton John, uh, Brian Adams, like, he was definitely the go-to guy for a long time for music videos, like a major, major talent mm-hmm. in the music video realm, but on the silver screen, not so much. And so he wound up doing Conan, but I think what's interesting about Marcus Nispel is that, you know, those of you that really paid attention to one of our most recent episodes, he was one of the directors who was up for End of Days. Well, I'm glad he didn't get it. Yeah, no kidding, because that one turned out so great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the one where we, I think, where we have agreed to disagree more than any other films. Right. But uh, yeah, so he wound up doing it, and I don't know, rewatching it now... I found actually a lot of the ugly, ugly visuals I remembered from the theater looked a lot better on my TV than they did on that 
you know, on that big screen. In 3D. In 3D. Like, that 3D was terrible. And there was a lot of terrible, terrible 3D transfers around that period. Because I remember Clash of the Titans was famously terrible, their 3D transfer. Where it had, like, the ghosting of, like, people throughout the movie. So everyone had, like, double faces. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is pretty post-Avatar right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and they just want to throw 3D on everything. Yeah, that's really stopped, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I actually enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would. Uh, I do think this movie has a little bit of an issue, though, in that I feel like it's very front-loaded in the stuff I find fun. Like, it kind of wears me out by about the halfway point. Yeah, and that probably goes a little bit to the length, which we were going to talk about, too. Yeah, and so, like, we'll get into the actual breakdown of the various elements in a minute, but, I mean, I found myself kind of waking up a bit when it started going like, oh, this is actually more fun than I remembered. And I was kind of enjoying the campiness of it. It's really go-for-broke camp in ways that... Like, Clash of the Titans wasn't. That movie was really dour. and certainly not Immortals. Yeah, or Immortals. Just, like, really self-serious. This one had a real camp factor going for it that I enjoyed. And, you know, the characters are not great, but they are kind of fun. Like, they kind of pop on screen, which, again, was not something that happened in Clash of the Titans. So I was enjoying that, but I think this movie has a couple problems. One, I think it's overlong and just kind of drags itself out because this movie really just consists entirely of action scenes strung together with the barest of rushed dialogue uh, it also has i mean it sets itself up as like a globe trotting movie where yeah it's always showing like a, a an establishing shot from a city and it says like zamora and it's under- like a green screen shot <laughs> yeah underneath yeah. or where are we now we're at the uh some outpost or other sure yeah and and you're just like i don't care where this is let's (laughs) let's get to the point yeah oh totally yeah and it does set itself up as that kind of like fun kind of swashbuckling movie but it kind of just drags itself thin with the villains who aren't that interesting and they just keep going down the same path over and over like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of diversity in the storytelling going on here yeah how much of the uh swashbuckling and pirate aesthetic do you think had to do with the success of uh pirates of the caribbean probably quite a bit (laughs) probably well this movie was very derivative like when i look at the 1982 conan with schwarzenegger it felt like a complete (laughs) representation of the bizarre vision of john milius when I look at this movie, I see pirates. I see 300. I see, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Definitely Temple of Doom. Batman Begins, like the whole part where they're training on the ice with the swords, you know? It's just like, okay, I'm seeing a lot of popular blockbusters all amalgamated into this movie. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think it, it's interesting in that, like, the first half, which I did enjoy more, is very, like, practical effects heavy. Whereas yes. the latter half is much more CG heavy. And yeah, that's it, where it started to lose me. Conan kind of starts off the movie, and maybe we should get into it. And so I'll give my disclaimer that I always give, which is, spoiler alert, I know that we've kind of given a mixed review from the outset, but it is a movie that's worth seeing if you are interested in the Conan franchise. And, you know, go out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch and come back to us. That's right. So, Tony, what is this movie about? Well, this movie is about uh, <laughs> a young man, uh, singularly named Conan, who comes from the Sumerian tribe in the land of Hyboria. And he, uh, you know, has his whole village slaughtered in a horrible way, and eventually becomes a globetrotting warrior. And, and along the way, on his quest for revenge against the 
evil warlord Kalar Zim, he discovers the meaning of love <laughs> by, you know, basically rescuing a few maidens here and there and sure. slashing a few heads off. There's not a lot going on in this movie. He has to fight a lot of things. Right. Uh, and it's all in the quest for revenge. That's pretty much all you need to know. But what is Kalar Zim's plot? Kalar Zim? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Sorry. Kalar Zim is trying to resurrect his dead wife, who was a powerful necromancer, so that basically he can rule the world. Right, and he does that with his evil daughter, uh, played by Rose McGowan, named Marique. Uh, yeah, and boy are these guys evil and weird. They are very weird. I did appreciate the weirdness. I yeah. think Conan Villains, it's a pretty high bar because James Earl Jones is iconic in the original. And you had uh, Sarah Douglas as like the sorcerer queen in Conan the Destroyer, who's really memorable. Not to mention Wilt Chamberlain. Obviously. like Those are some really memorable villains. And I appreciated that they were actually reaching for something, especially with the Rose Gowan character. I don't know so much as the Stephen Lang Kalar Zim character. He felt a little more generic. But uh, Rose McGowan's, like, sorceress lady was pretty bizarre. Uh, she was. I really liked Stephen Lang's character. I did thought, you? I, I think Stephen Lang is a great actor. Uh, I did feel like he's kind of in his post-Avatar. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, this is his victory lap, yeah. Yeah, um, but I think he's, he really brings a kind of manic energy to Kalar Zim. Well, Stephen Lang seems insane. <laughs> like, he just seems like a very intense, insane man. And so I totally buy him as this character. And I think, like, if you're going to cast basically one-note villains for a Conan movie, cast really bizarre actors for those for those roles. And they succeeded. Yeah, absolutely. So and he's got some great scenes of him just literally drooling. <laughs> some very bizarre, borderline incestuous scenes with his daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they play it to the hilt. Like, they are not playing anything subtle it's all operatic and over the top <laughs> now i am curious you know as someone who knows the conan character very well how about the transition from schwarzenegger to jason momoa jason momoa at this point in time he was not a star he was basically unknown he had some tv under his belt yeah he'd, he'd done some stargate i think and baywatch uh, yeah and baywatch that's right he would do um uh, game of thrones I think this. I think that he would shoot it the same year as Conan. After Conan was in the can. Yeah, I'm not sure if Cal Drogo had ridden a horse yet uh, on TV, or if right. that came after Conan. It was after Conan, yeah. Yeah, um, but anyways, he's he wasn't the international superstar, the post Aquaman Jason Momoa that we know today. Definitely not, and he just beat Kellen Lutz for the role. I mean, good choice. I mean. I got nothing against Kellen Lutz, but the reason they would have picked Kellen Lutz was because of the success of Twilight. Right. And that would have been just a, a bad move. I mean, I mean, Kellen Lutz went on and he did... Um, the Legend of Hercules. He did do The Legend of Hercules. He did some other kind of sword and sorcery stuff as well that I can't name. I've seen The, the Legend moment. of Hercules and it was terrible. Yeah. But his heart was in the right place. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, what was your take on Jason Momoa stepping into the Schwarzenegger shoes? Well, and I think that's maybe what people are talking about when they say that this uh, is more true to the Robert E. Howard character. Because he wasn't really stepping into the Schwarzenegger shoes here, was he? He, he kind of brought his own take on the character. He um, made it his own. The, the Jason Momoa Conan is a different character than the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan. He feels almost like more introverted. 
Yeah, he's a little less tortured, I guess, too. He also just doesn't play it as big. Like, he seems like a character who's very, very internal. In a way, like the Schwarzenegger one, Schwarzenegger didn't have a ton of dialogue, but he felt just like a larger-than-life presence. Whereas, like, Jason Momoa, you know, he has scenes with, like, uh, you know, his buddies in this, and they seem like bigger characters than him. That's true, and I don't know why. I mean, I, no knock against Jason Momoa. I actually really like Jason Momoa as an actor. Um, I thought he was pretty fun in Aquaman. He uh, is. I think that is, like, top bar for this type of role for Jason Momoa. You know, and I liked him in Game of Thrones. His, uh, I don't know if you saw The Bad Batch. I, I enjoyed his kind of weird character in that, too. He was pretty fun in a movie I didn't like, Bullet to the Head. Yeah, that that one as well. I actually forgot he was in that until you mentioned it. Um, so Jason Momoa can clearly handle action. He can clearly handle this type of role, but I think it speaks a little bit to, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor and maybe John Milius as a director too, mm -hmm. for just how memorable Schwarzenegger was compared to Jason Momoa, who's not doing a bad job. Um, but like you say, it's a lot more subdued. Well, when I think of the Jason Momoa Conan, the visuals work. You know, him in the armor with that, like, one armored sleeve holding his sword. I buy it 100%. Like, it looks like Conan to me. But there's something missing in the performance. Like, I just feel like he's not fully a confident movie star yet, and you can see it. Like, it just doesn't feel like... Like, I think if you handed Jason Momoa this role now, you'd get something really fun and special. Here he feels a little bit like a TV actor being vaulted onto the big screen. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a little closer to Call than he is to Conan. Yeah, totally. That's a good point, yeah, yeah. Although Kevin Sorbo maybe had a little more kind of cheeseball factor. like <laughs> Just he... a little more. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Momoa doesn't have that. Like He plays it very serious. He does, but I know what you mean. He's a, he's a young guy, although he's not that young here when you think about it. I mean, he was a star five years later. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I would love to actually see him now go and take on this role. And I think it would be maybe not a lot different, but I think um, you'd probably get a maybe a more passionate performance. And you'd frankly, you'd probably be able to reel in a better director. For sure. Well, when I think of the movie uh, Aquaman, that's a character that's not 100% dissimilar from what he's doing in Conan. And he has so much more charisma. Like, just when he walks into a scene, you just completely, like, all eyes just land right on him. He's just, like, this really charismatic figure on the big screen in Aquaman that he's not here. Like, he just doesn't quite have it. One thing he has not really figured out, though, that Schwarzenegger, I think, succeeded more at uh, is chemistry with the female lead. <laughs> Jason Momoa in both Aquaman and in this movie with Rachel Nichols. There is zero chemistry with the female leads. Yeah, in fact, he's he's downright mean. <laughs> I just noticed he would barely ever look at them. There's no shortage of female characters in this movie either. I mean, most of them have their shirts off for most of the film. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, he could be making eyes at just about anyone, and he doesn't really do it, at least not effectively in this no, movie. No, <laughs> he doesn't. Like, when you watched Arnold Schwarzenegger go up against Sandal Bergman in the original Conan. Not in Red Sonia. Not where, in Red Sonia. Where, where she was the bad guy? No, and she was uh, his, uh, you know, <laughs> or, Valeria. Or, or villain, bad, bad gal? Yeah, when she was Valeria in Conan the Barbarian. 
even though Schwarzenegger was not an accomplished actor at that point, you know, he didn't have a lot of dialogue in that movie for a reason, I think. But you could see that there was sparks between the two actors. And I do not get that between Rachel Nichols and Jason Momoa in this movie at all. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, th- I think that Schwarzenegger's, no, both his on-screen presence and his chemistry with the female lead is better in the original Conan. Is there just more of a carnality to Arnold Schwarzenegger? Maybe, because when you think about it, I mean, Schwarzenegger in 1982, uh, I mean, you could say a lot of the same things that we're saying about uh, Jason Momoa now. I mean, he was a young, unproven actor. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I love Conan the Barbarian, the original. I just wonder if it is Jason Momoa himself is more of like a laid-back kind of surfer type. Kind of a nice guy. Kind of a nice guy, whereas like Schwarzenegger <laughs> of 1982 was a borderline egomaniac. Intense bodybuilding lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't think his ego was particularly small at that point in time. Whereas Jason Momoa just seems pretty mellow. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'd, uh, you know, Stargate was a lot of fun. I'd really like to be in other movies. <laughs> Whereas Schwarzenegger was like, I will be the biggest star in Hollywood. <laughs> and you know his trailer had like graphs all over the walls of box office performances. <laughs> no, I, well, absolutely. Um, but I, I, I didn't mind Jason Momoa in this in this role either. I, like I didn't, I wasn't rolling my eyes, being like, oh, Jason, like come no, on. No, it's just, it's just a little too flat. Like I feel like it's for your title character, for an ge- iconic character, it's a little generic. Yeah, like like, it, like if you were to ask me to distinguish Jason Momoa's Conan from whoever the main character was in Clash of the Titans. Oh, Sam Worthington, yeah. Not the actor. Perseus? <laughs> yeah. Is it Perseus, I think? Perseus. Sam Worthington, who I guess starred in the Mick G Terminator Salvation. <laughs> <laughs> um or, you know, or the main guy in The Immortals, or... That was um, Henry Cavill. Yes, it was. Yeah. Or uh, what about um, Carl Urban in Pathfinder? Yeah, can you tell me the difference between any of these characters? I couldn't tell you a single characteristic of any of them. They have I, swords, I think. I feel like they all lost their fathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and Probably that... in battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, let's, let's get into it, like... Um, what did you think about the origin story of Conan here? Where, I mean, you start off with, <laughs> I had totally forgotten he was involved in this at all, but you start off with a Morgan Freeman narration. So you, it opens like you're, you're watching Blue Planet or something like that. It felt very Lord of the Rings to me. Like this whole layout of the land, setting up the world with, Con- or with uh, I was going to call Morgan Freeman Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Morgan the Barbarian. Yeah, good on you, Morgan. Um, but I, I felt like it was very much that like distinguished character actor kind of laying out the uh, the entire fantasy world. Maybe, although the world building of Conan is a big part of Conan. Like uh, Robert E. Howard and the authors since have done a really good job of fleshing out the uh, whole Hyborian landscape. Right. Right, which is why you get the globetrotting... Zamora green screen. <laughs> yeah, over oh, totally. So it opens with Morgan Freeman, you know, born on a battlefield in the most, uh, you know, unhygienic C-section we've ever seen on film. I think this scene's amazing. The fact that we first see Conan as a baby in the womb and then a sword coming through and, like, cutting him in the head is astonishing stuff. And then the whole birth scene of cutting him out of the womb. I mean... If you want to grab the audience's attention off the bat for a Conan movie, I actually think this is really 
a very strong opening. So do I. I, I mean, this movie grabbed me at the outset. Uh, he, he carries the scar that he gets in the womb yeah. uh, on his face for the rest of the film. Yeah. And, man, and his, his mother's like, I want to see him before I die. Right. And his father, Ron Perlman, just like, okay. How many fake beards do you think Ron Perlman has? Do you think that was a fake beard? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the beard is a fake Ron Perlman. <laughs> Oh, God. But I did love the whole Conan as a kid stuff. I should hate this, but I actually really enjoyed uh, Kid Conan. Like, all the stuff with him carrying the egg and running through the woods. I actually really thought that stuff was fun. You know, I enjoyed it as well, which is interesting because I remember hating that. Oh, really? When I first saw it in 2011. I remember thinking, like, oh, this is just basically uh, a pod race right. with, with swords. And I thought it was so stupid that kid conan would be able to kill these five guys and then would keep the egg in his mouth the, yeah. the entire time yeah but i really liked it this time around where he walks up to the, his father in the village uh at the end of this uh basically a foot race to determine who can fight with the warriors and throws down the three or four heads that he's decapitated yep <laughs> on, spits out the egg spits out the egg yeah and it's like oh okay well i guess this guy can fight with the warriors now yeah and the one thing is, like, you'll notice, like, Marcus Nispel, the way he shoots action, isn't great. Like, there's not a lot of flow to it. It's a lot of hard cuts and impact shots. And I enjoyed the impact shots because there'd be a lot of blood spraying everywhere and gore. So it worked for me in that level. But it was always accompanied, too, by, like, thundering soundtrack noises, which I think is why the movie wears out its welcome pretty quickly. Cause just because when you have that much loud, chaotic action stretched over two hours it does wear itself out but off the bat i'm totally on board yeah it's got the kind of generic but um you know aesthetically acceptable plot narrated by morgan freeman of you know basically in the past a powerful necromancer made um, a mask out of the yeah. skulls of five kings and then they broke it in like five parts spread them out throughout the kingdoms and then the bad guy has got all but one piece. Yeah, which I always wonder. I mean, these guys, uh, I mean, their primary means of existence seems to be uh, the blacksmith. You know, why not just throw this piece in the fire? Or why just in the ocean. Yeah, throw it, throw it off a boat. They have a lot of yeah. boats. Yeah, it's true. You know, why not, um, you know, bury it deep in a pit and then uh, never tell anyone and then, you know so that no one can find it ever again once you die. I feel like Jason Momoa has been in multiple stories that involve uniting pieces of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the one place that I wouldn't keep it, if yeah. it was the last piece of the Necromancer's helmet, would be uh, under my floorboard. Yeah, that was pretty chintzy. That actually has one of my favorite moments in the movie, though, and one of the few moments I remembered after seeing the movie the first time, which is after Conan comes back, spits out the egg, his father's very proud of him and says something along the lines of, come, let's go forge steel. <laughs> <laughs> My father never said anything like that to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this. Um, I'm just a sucker uh, for any movie that has a scene of people blacksmithing their own weapons. Oh, it's great. Like, I think this is great. And, um, you know, the fact we get two different iconic swords out of it is pretty memorable as well. So that's right. Both both come back later on in the yeah in the movie. Um, the I like their take on the uh, secret of steel from the original Conan, which was 
you know, uh, okay, we can't use Secret of Steel. Uh, we'll call it uh, Fire and Ice. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and then the villains attack here and everything. There's a training montage. There's a training montage. Which I always enjoy. The Batman Begins sequence on the ice. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The villains attack and take the piece. But Conan's father is killed in the process in a way that is something I also remembered very vividly. Which is like, they have young Conan holding onto this chain, stopping a bucket of molten metal pouring on his father's head while the whole cabin burns down around them. And his hands are burning his from hands the are burning. chain. A piece of the, the molten metal scars Conan's face as well. And then he has to let go of the bucket and his father's head like <laughs> evaporates. Yeah. Well, he didn't let go of the bucket. Conan would yeah, never have let go of the true. bucket. True, the father pulled the bucket down on his head, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what a way to go, eh? It would be quick, right? Uh, I hope so. Not quick enough. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he did let out a scream. Uh, don't overthink it. <laughs> it's a it's a rough way to go. <laughs> you can really see why Conan wanted revenge on this guy. True enough. <laughs> but along the way, I mean, Conan does cut off a bad guy's nose, which was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, um, that's true. And, uh, you know, and Stephen Lang shows up for the first time at this point in a kind of James Earl Jones-ish uh, role where he's not a warlord yet. He's not a an emperor. He's just some bandit leader. Right. And I like that off the bat, he gets all the pieces of the helmet. Like, it drives me nuts in movies where I have to watch characters compile these, like, magical things over the course of, like, an hour. Because we know they're going to get it because otherwise the villain plot is just going to stop dead. Or maybe even uh, multiple movies over the course of a decade. Sure. <coughs> Infinity Gauntlet. That worked out, though, damn it. That that all paid <laughs> off. But I'm thinking of, like, Justice League, which Jason Momoa was also in, where, like, that villain Steppenwolf had to get all the mother boxes. And they have to, like, create all these fake complications for him to get the mother boxes. And it's like, we know he's going to get them. So it's like, why not just have him grab them all right off the bat? It just would make it a lot quicker, and then you could flush out other stuff. Not that this movie flushes out anything to do with character <laughs> later on, but it could have, is the point. It could have. That's right. But I think at this point, it's probably worth noting that um, Stephen Lang played, uh, I mean, he was coming off, we mentioned it before, Avatar, where he played Colonel, what's his name? I think it's like Quatri or something, so, or Quaric, or it, so it's a Q. There's a Q in there. Yeah. Um, but that role, and we've talked about it before on this podcast, was originally... Uh, supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right, yeah. So I yeah. have to wonder, had Arnold Schwarzenegger taken that role... Mm, would uh, he have been the villain in Conan? Yes. I don't think so. I don't think he would have been willing to play the villain in Conan. I think Arnold wants to be Conan if he's going to be in this movie. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I would love to see Arnold Schwarzenegger as a villain in another movie down the road. So would I. They actually... And not Mr. Freeze. Oh, okay. And, and maybe, and you know, the Terminator, probably not again. They were also talking to uh, Dolph Lundgren about this movie as well, and nothing came out of that. I don't know if that was for the Conan's father role either, but it would have been fun to see Dolph in here somewhere. It would have been. Um, I mean, I always like to see Dolph Lundgren, yeah. um, uh, who's, in, who's in the sequel to Kindergarten Cop. That's very true. But, you know, from here we... Which we will not review on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that stood out to me, though, is in the original Conan... One of the most iconic moments in the entirety of the franchise is Conan on, like, the Wheel of Doom or whatever. You know, having to go around in circles, pushing that wheel, like, as a child into adulthood. We don't get that here. That kind of bothers me, but maybe they didn't want to replicate it? 
We don't. Well, I mean, that origin story was not at all in the Robert E. Howard Interesting. stories. Um, I mean, I think I could be totally wrong, um, but in the Robert E. Howard stories, we don't really know Conan as a child. We get to know him as about a maybe like a 17-year-old, mm. uh, you know, a young man, a boy who's, you know, already forged in battle. Interesting. Okay, that's that's definitely not something I knew. Yeah, certainly like the um the later authors uh I don't I can't think of an origin story in print that uh that's been done in the comics or any of the novels. Uh I think he he usually starts off at about um 16 or 17. I haven't read the new Dark Horse comics. Mm-hmm. Um which may have done it, but uh, the stuff that I've read, I haven't seen it. Okay. But definitely the Wheel of Pain, or the the Slave Wheel, right. is not there. Um, nor is the Egg Race, for that matter. Right. <laughs> the Egg Race, I can totally believe. <laughs> yeah, so, but we leave Conan as a boy. We, we establish that he's now a scarred young man on a quest for revenge. Yeah, we cut to him, like, freeing some slaves from bandits. Yeah, well, with, you know, don't forget the... Establishing shot, uh, Zingaran slave colony. Yeah. Um, Conan is now uh, a buccaneer, which I, I actually really liked because Conan's career, uh, I mean, one of the great things about Conan as uh, an episodic character is you can pick him up at any point in his life and he's always doing something different. Sometimes he's leading an army. Sometimes he's a thief. Sometimes he's a pirate. Sometimes he's a king. Yeah. And here he's um, joined up with a pirate, um, yeah. and and he's decided to free some slaves for no other reason than <laughs> men should not be in chains. And I like that all the people he frees are like topless Maxim models. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally, uh, you know, and I guess there's probably different <laughs> different opinions on this. Sometimes gratuity and gratuitous nudity in movies. Uh, actually bothers me. I find it takes away from the film. In this movie, it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> it I, works to the movie's uh, I was like, this tone. is a this is a gratuitous movie. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of bloodshed and and a lot of topless women. We had a scene early on of a child carrying like four decapitated heads. At this point, <laughs> you know, anything goes. I actually wish the movie had kept up that level of crazy throughout because I feel like it backs down at a certain point. It, it does. I, I like once they've freed these uh, topless maxim slave girls <laughs> i like that all the men look like they haven't showered in six months <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all the women look like models their hair has just been done yeah. they've got their makeup on yeah um and they ask well where are we supposed to go and they laugh and i guess everybody joins their pirate crew it's like a party boat yeah. <laughs> it's basically spring break yeah yeah and then they you know cut to some new city where everyone's arm wrestling each other yeah or who should he see but the noseless guy Right. Um, which, you know, sets him on the quest for uh, for revenge against Kalar Zim. Yeah, because, yeah, this noseless guy, which gets a, a great payoff where he sticks his finger into the guy's nose cavity. That was pretty gross. That nose guy reminded me of the dude with the giant feet in Mad Max Fury Road. Maybe it's the same actor. Who knows? But he reminded me of that guy. But, um, yeah, you know, we get these little side missions in Conan, which I appreciated... I liked it, at least in the initial going, they're kind of mixing up their types of action sequences. Yeah. And I should say I misspoke. The nose guy was actually at the slave colony, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Yeah. But he does lead them to the whole quest where Stephen Lang's character is trying to get this pure blood woman named Tamara, who is a monk, 
because he needs her blood to, I don't know, unite with the helmet or something so he can awaken his wife. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> Tamara will be the vessel that his witch wife will inhabit, etc., etc. Blah, blah, Fire, blah. you know, hell on earth. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever seen any movie in which somebody wields a sword, you've seen this plot. Just really, like, cue up an, a Slayer album, listen to the lyrics, <laughs> and that's what Stephen Lang is saying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know we get a carriage chase which i thought was actually pretty fun too yeah uh i don't know how fast that stagecoach or carriage had to have been going to do like a double endo once uh, <laughs> once the horses were disconnected but holy smokes i like, mean rachel nichols is steering that horse at like 100 miles an hour i think she's breaking the sound barrier <laughs> and i like when conan is it conan i think it is knocks out a horse with a chain uh, yeah. Was that a nod to the original with him punching out a camel? Uh, it it might have been, but yeah. it, it was it was a good scene. I, I actually enjoyed this scene as well. What did you think of Rachel Nichols as this monk character? I mean, she was okay. I mean, she she was um, you know, an up basically an updated damsel in distress. She um was not a damsel in full distress in that she had some fighting ability. Yeah. But um, she definitely did not have the fighting ability of conan (laughs) yeah i mean rachel nichols is an actress i've seen in a few things very few of them good now that i really think about it but uh she was in that horror movie p2 uh it was okay um she was also in um um gi joe the rise of cobra (laughs) she was scarlet Oh, right, yeah. yeah that's I feel like she was more fun in that movie. Probably not as good a performance as here. That's because G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, is kind of a an underrated movie. It's a crap pile, but you and yeah. I like laughed our heads off through yeah, it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's junk. Yes, and I also saw her in the Alex Cross movie with uh, Tyler Perry. So, like, not a distinguished filmography. She was in the 2009 Star Trek, though, as an Orion, uh, Orion cadet. So there you have it. But she's functional here. Like, she does the action stuff well enough. But, I mean, I don't know how much to really lay at her feet. But just, like, the lack of chemistry between her and Jason Momoa. I feel like they're both to blame here. But what I'll say is their body doubles, man, do they have a lot of chemistry. That's true. Their body doubles really go to town. I've never seen a more obvious body double in in my life. No, it's pretty it's up there for sure so along the way i mean we get some additional fights we get a a good swashbuckling fight scene uh on the pirate ship where we right where we get to see you know basically people throwing more knives through other people i think this is the last action scene i was kind of into yeah because after this point uh rose mcgowan and stephen lang their plot starts featuring a little bit more prominently where they want to get this pure blood Rachel Nichols and Conan uh, has a ruse where he's going to um, like trade her over to them, trade her to them. Yeah, that's right. And so they meet up at some uh, some outpost. I don't know why this outpost is there. There's nobody <laughs> there. Um, and in comes uh, Rose McGowan and Stephen Lang to make the trade and what should occur, but Rose McGowan proves herself to be a competent sorceress in her own right and conjures up a group of sand people. Who are, like, vulnerable to swords. Yeah, they're not very effective assailants. No. But they are but they are a combination of, like, it's like a really weird blend that we kind of see from this point on in the movie of not particularly good CG combined with, like, 
uh, practical makeup effects of like uh, actors, which I actually kind of like that. I, I, I would have liked that a lot more if they just stuck with that. They kind of look like those contortionists from the Tool video, Schism. I don't know what you're talking about. Cam. Well, some people do, but they look like the Sandy version of that. Um, but it's one of those action scenes that I'm like, this is not very fun. Like, it reminded me a little bit of, do you remember in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, when they encountered those, like, pygmies? In the graveyard? Yeah. Yeah. That's what this reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not horrible, but it's not, it's, you're like, okay, fine, whatever, let's get to the, get back to the fun stuff. Get back to the fireworks factory. And this is the point, I think, where the movie starts to kind of slide. And the problem is, because none of the dialogue is very good, <laughs> or, like, the characters don't really pop in a way that, like, it's fun to really watch them interact a lot, you're basically waiting for action scenes, but then you get these overlong ones like this one that kind of just kill the energy because it's just this nonstop high-impact stuff that there's no, like, ups and downs to it. It's just, like, bam, 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 bam. And you can only do that so many times before the audience is like, okay, enough. Yeah, and then just like convenient action tropes where uh, they throw a torch at basically a pile of oil kegs, which is there for no reason if this yeah. isn't abandoned. And that explodes. They jump off a cliff that would have, you know, sent their hip bones through their shoulders. <laughs> um, but that's okay. And then... Um, and then pirate ship's like waiting for them. Yeah, and then they realize that, you know, they actually have a, a strong psychological if not on-screen chemistry i think we do get jason momoa's best line in the film here best or worst sure and what that line is i live i love i slay and i am content <laughs> pretty damn good good pickup line turns out well you know if you are gonna write a conan line that has to rival something like his great uh you know, what is best in life, Conan? Yeah. This isn't bad. This is actually a pretty good attempt. That's a good line, I think. I don't know whether this comes from the original writers or Sean Hood, who came in to rewrite them. I don't know, but it's not a bad line. Yeah, I think it's the best line in the movie. It's probably, yeah. I think you're right, actually. Because there's not a lot of dialogue that's that quotable in this movie. No, in fact, later on, I made a note of it. I'll jump ahead a little bit where... Um, Rachel Nichols kills one of the bad characters and her her um, dispatch line is die yeah that's about it it just hangs there yeah and you're like okay all right well, moving on yeah carry on yeah but I mean at this point and I know we've kind of belabored the first half of this movie a little bit um, but there's not I don't think a ton to say about about the rest of the movie he goes to um, Zamora, green screen Zamora, and, <laughs> and meets up with the most convenient plot device character you've ever seen in a thief named something or other. Yeah, he's played by Saeed Tagmudi, who was in a little movie called G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra. Oh my. Yeah, and he's a thief that Conan met way earlier. His only job, only job, is to be convenient here to take Conan to the place where Tamara is being held at this point she's been captured in a scene that anyone who's seen maybe two movies will be able to spot when she's about to be kidnapped and that uh, she's been taken now by Stephen Lang and so Kona has to find her that's what this thief character does it's really clunky writing yeah I mean they I mean they're going to a pretty cool skull cave but before that Tony 
they deal with a tentacled monster. Oh, sorry. How could I forget the tentacled monster, um, which will live on forever in my screensaver? <laughs> Tony, there are a few things I love more in life than tentacled monsters in movies. Like, honestly, sharks and tentacled monsters. I'm biting my tongue on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you show me, like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You show me Peter Benchley's The Beast, that TV movie event that I watched both parts of and absolutely loved. You show me anything with a killer squid or octopus, I am on board. This scene does nothing for me. It looks like crap. It does, and it's a shame because the the serpent monster or the tentacle monster is such an iconic beast in like the Lovecraft Howard yeah type story just fantasy land the strange yeah. the strange tales like the pulp fiction the word that, uncanny should be used when you think of Conan fighting a beast you often think of like a Frank Frazetta oil painting of like Conan chained to a pillar with a uh, you know a uh, an octopus rising from the depths or a serpent yes. uh, coiling around his legs or something like that yeah. of just like mammoth size. And here, I mean, they even go so far as to call it, you know, the dweller, which is a throwback to, um, you know, Robert E. Howard and, and H.P. Lovecraft's stories. And then you get there and you're just like, oh, the scene's way too long. The CG is really bad. CG is really bad. You don't really care what happens. It's not really clear. And it's not shot like a like well done sequence. Like it's just kind of chaos happening and you just kind of wait for it to end. And it's almost like the tone of the action sequence changes a bit too. Whereas yeah. like the, you look at the opening sequence, like the battlefield. Yeah. Very serious sequences. Like people are getting limbs hacked off blood spraying everywhere and this this tentacle beast is just kind of it's almost comedic um and it and it just drags on and it's very like bloodless where this, the beast is grabbing people and pulling them down but you're not really getting anything out of it like there's none of the kind of the fun cheese factor going for it conan while all this is going on is fighting a tertiary villain that you don't care about at all um the thief sidekick has managed to get himself locked in a cage, but you don't care. Yeah. Um, and it just sucks the wind out of the movie. You compare like this sequence to um, the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, where uh, there's the um, the Kraken, the Kraken attacking the ship. Like that scene is amazing. Like it's incredibly well directed by Gore Verbinski. This is like the crap version of that. Like it's just not. It doesn't build to any sort of rising tension or anything like. Like, the friend in the cage should build to a moment where the tension is, like, really building. Like, something as bad is about to happen and we're all kind of on the edge of our seats. We're not. We don't like this character. We don't even care about this character. It's not shot particularly well. The editing is all over the place. And it's just like, whatever. It just doesn't work as an action sequence at all. And it really bums me out because I don't get enough tentacled monsters in movies. And when you get one, you want it to be special. This wasn't special. And it has a like an ending that's so lame that even in I don't tend to make a lot of comments when we watch movies, but even I remarked like that was really lame, where the villain gets dragged down by a chain, bitten in half, and then pulled back up, and it is the worst CG humanly possible. Yeah, it could have looked really cool. It could have been a sweet scene. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. No, I mean a flying toaster flew by at one point, I think, <laughs> and hit him in the head. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely screensaver-ish. Yeah. So at this point, Conan heads to Skull Cave, which I love the look of Skull Cave on the out well, he, uh, on the exterior. Well, he tells his thief buddy who he's met once, uh, your debt is paid. And I'm just like, yeah, no kidding, your debt is paid. Yeah. Uh, but the guy's like, well, if you ever need me, I'll be back in that city. Peace, check you later. See you later. I gotta yeah. go back through this tentacle cave, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we go to Skull Cave, which looks really cool. The exterior of it does. I really love the design. It has that kind of 1930s King Kong kind of look. I like it. Yeah, and then we get into, basically, as far as I can tell, uh, the Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You've got the big, like, river of lava down below. You've got, like, the weird, mysterious, like, um, dark priests around Tamara, who's, like, chained up on a wheel with her arms, like, spread out, kind of like spread eagle kind of look. Yeah, and, you know, long story short, uh, you know, they're going to do the sacrifice. They're going to, you know, I guess necromance. I don't know if that's a verb. Sure. But they neck want to necromance uh, uh, Kalarzim's wife into her body. Yeah. And this is the way to do it, apparently. Yeah, and, like, I'm all down for a, like, dark ritual in a movie. Like, I think that's, like, really fun if done well. Like in Temple of Doom, here it feels really perfunctory. Like, they're not really mining a lot of imagination out of this sequence. No, they're not, and you know, and lo and behold, Conan um, breaks it up, and then there's a the the big bad battle, right, where uh, Tamara gets freed and has to, um, you know, get in the fight with the other with the female villain, yeah, and Conan has to fight Stephen Lang, and I. I hated this action sequence. Like, it's so, so lame. So, so did I. Um, like and, and I remember hating this when I originally saw it. Like, the whole scene with the, the wheel, you get, like, really bad CG in a lot of this. And then the, the action, which is um, up to that midpoint, uh, you know, up to about the point where, the sand, where they're fighting the sand people. Yeah. Like, high impact, bloody action. And then the action just gets gets, like, a level of weightlessness and fakeness about it that just just drains the movie yeah because you have tamara strapped to this wheel that's getting spun around in like a uh, crevice basically hanging over the lava conan and the bad guy are swinging around this wheel and like you just look at it it doesn't look real it doesn't look convincing it doesn't have any sort of um like uh, excitement about it or uh, your adrenaline is not moving at all Whereas you look at, say, going back to Gore Verbinski in the Pirates movies, you look at the scene in the second movie again, where, like, Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom are in wheels that are, like, you know, fighting with their swords. And just, like, the balletic grace that Gore Verbinski can stage, and it's, like, you know, this, like, rising moments of excitement, and then it all kind of pays off in a big crescendo. That's the way you do action scenes. Or even, like, did you ever see the Lone Ranger movie? Yeah, yeah, I did. Not a great movie, but some of the action in it is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, Gore Verbinski action sequences are something we should all be aspiring to. Because the bar, like, he sets our bar really high, I think, and pays it off. Like, his sequences are amazing. Marcus Nispel? Marcus Nispel does not have that. And this sequence sucks. And I remember thinking it sucked in theaters, and it sucked this time, too, because it doesn't even go anywhere interesting. And, I mean, the entire layout of this subterranean layer, I do not understand the geography of at <laughs> all. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about the geography. I just kind of assumed, okay, there, there's a lava river over here. Um, they sure fit a lot into this tiny skull cave. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some pillars. All the kind of... Stuff that you would expect to have backstage on a 
uh, on a movie lot that <laughs> shoots fantasy films once in a while. Yeah, probably. Was this in Bulgaria? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been. I, I don't actually know. But yeah, like they swing down to a lower platform or something. They're fighting there. But it's like characters just keep popping up on the same level. Like I, it seemed like they were going like up and down multiple levels of this subterranean lair. But, like, they would always, like, bump into each other, the heroes and the villains. Yeah, they keep falling. They fall the whole way to the bottom, but yeah. nobody gets hurt, ever. <laughs> um, what I will say about it, though, and this is a credit to Stephen Lang, is Jason Momoa is a pretty imposing physical presence. Yep. Um, and Stephen Lang isn't really. Like, he's a pretty slim dude. I think he's pretty tall, though. Yeah, but um, a lot of the times, you know, we recently watched the... Total Recall remake, yeah, right where we had far worse than this. Had Brian Cranston, right. right, right in a fight, and you're just like, oh my god, it was just like watching Colin Farrell beat up on your grandpa, right? Yeah, um, you don't get that with Stephen Lang. You, you got you. Stephen Lang was pretty convincing as as a as a combatant. Like I believe that he was the kind of guy that would be a threat to Conan as a as a warlord. I want to add though, at this point in the movie, Stephen Lang, the magical mask has come alive into like a CG face hugger yeah, from the, Alien. The mask looks pretty stupid. <laughs> and he puts it on his head. And it is the stupidest villain like helmet slash mask that I can recall in recent memory. Like it looks absolutely absurd. <laughs> like I kind of love it because it makes it look so stupid. Um, I didn't mind it when it was just like a you know a plastic fiberglass prop on his head. <laughs> I I didn't like it at all when they had the CG tentacles going on. I was like, this just looks silly. It looked like a face hugger from Alien. Yeah, yeah, a CG face hugger. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that Stephen Lang ringing around this stupid helmet, <laughs> I can kind of get on board with that, but. This is a character, you you got to give me a big, high-impact conclusion to this character. Because this character does not have a lot of personality, so you got to give me something. You know, James Earl Jones, who will ever forget the decapitation in that head bouncing down the stairs? It's incredible. Well, I think you can say the same thing about Kalar Zim, can't you? Because, uh, uh, I mean, his death in this movie is just so memorable, isn't it? I mean, we've seen the movie, uh, what, no, two or three hours ago, Cam, and... Uh, I think I it was want less to, than that. It I was about you, an hour. <laughs> I want you to describe to me in detail what his death was. Okay. Him and Conan have a sword fight. He is like a double scimitar thing. Conan gets both his father and his swords. So they're fighting with their swords. And then something happens. And did Stephen Lang fall into the lava? Yep. He did. Okay. He got knocked off the edge into the lava. But I think you're proving my point here. It's not memorable. Like, uh, Rosa McGowan's death is more memorable, I think. And it's not great. Um, her death is a little bit more memorable because it's a little bit higher impact, too. Like, well, yeah, like, she gets her arm cut off, or her hand cut off, and then gets, like, tossed off. And you see her body landing and impaled on, like, a spike. That's pretty good. Yeah, again, it's a shame she didn't have a better dispatch line than die. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, How do you not have Stephen Lang, like, hitting the lava and, like, melting into it? Which would then pay off... The whole Conan's father having the molten metal poured on his head. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were out of money. I think they were. 90 million isn't like a ton. And this movie did have a lot of sets and a lot of CG. Yeah, although I, I swear to God, um, you know, and this is a reference back to the... Maybe it's just because I was in Temple of Doom mode with all the stuff going on. That as he fell into the lava, I swear to you... 
that he yelled Kali Ma. That's what it sure as hell sounded like. So you're with me. I'm with you. Okay, I thought, I'm just hearing things. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what else it could be. Like, the location, I think, was like Kor Kalba or something. But I don't think he'd be shouting the name of the location as his dying breath. But why would he be shouting a line from Temple of Doom? I have no idea. Was it a nod to Temple of Doom? It was a pretty in-your-face weird nod to add at the your you know your main villain's death scene. Yeah, and this movie was not like rife with like really outsized like nods to random movies. I mean, it definitely ripped off a lot of movies, but didn't stop dead in its tracks to like throw in an homage to like you know like referencing a line to a movie or something. No. So it was very weird. <laughs> Maybe we just misheard it. I don't know. Uh, was he just saying, like, Conan now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It sure sounded like Kelly Ma. It did. It sounded a lot like that. And then, basically, Conan and Tamara leave. He drops her off. And he's like, bye. <laughs> and she's like, uh, well, you can stay. And he's like, nah. And he leaves. And she's like, okay, bye. Yeah. I mean, for their amount of chemistry, this made a lot of sense to me. This, this yeah, ending you, was actually pretty fitting. You knew it wasn't going to work out. No, no. It wasn't built to last. You know, um, they didn't share a lot of interests. No, it, no, they did not. <laughs> what do you think they talked about? Um, Conan probably talked about murdering people. Sure. And she probably talked a lot about hanging out in the monastery with robes on. I guess, yeah. Um, Is she just going back to that monastery? I guess. Like, no, I think she was going to some other monastery. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. She was like initially escaping to a different place. So maybe that's where she went at the end. But now that the bad guy is dead, she doesn't really... Maybe she's going back to the monastery. Sure, why not? Yeah. That's for the sequel. <laughs> Who knows? And ultimately, we just get Conan going back to his birthplace and uh, holding up his father's sword and looking very Conan-like. Yeah, and then, you know, raising the sword to the sky. Yep. And cut to credits. Did he ever say Krom in this? I don't think he did. I don't know if Conan did. His father certainly did. His father referenced it, like, very early in the movie. But, like, I feel like Krom was a bigger part of the of the Schwarzenegger movies. Well, he met Krom in the movie. <laughs> Ergo, a bigger part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's interesting. I mean, this movie is, like... Um, uh, like I said, I think it starts off fun. I think this movie should have been 90 minutes. Absolutely. I'm, you I'm 100% this, on board with that. You cut this movie to 90 minutes. If you want to keep your sand people, fine. But combine that and like into the Skull Cave stuff. Pay that off and have this movie wrapped up and done at the 82-minute mark with your credits. Yeah, well, you take the uh, tentacle cave scene, you take that budget, yep. and you throw it at the rest of the movie. You throw a shot of Stephen Lang like sinking into that lava. Exactly. And also, you cut that thief character, because he sucks. Like, you don't need him. Yeah, or at least you cut most of him. What do you need him for? Well, I guess if you're cutting the tentacle cave, you don't need him at all. No, you don't. <laughs> I think you could just do a lot. You could cut a lot out of this movie, and it would be better for it. I know there's this weird obsession nowadays with movie studios making sure that every movie is, well, at least two hours. You don't need to. No, and I mean, I mean, this is a great case in point where this movie could have done with less of it. Yeah. What did you think of the score for this one? Because the original score for Conan 
is fantastic. And they kind of reused the original score, I think, for Conan the Destroyer. I don't know if there was a lot of new music there. But, you know, we talked about, obviously, that amazing music. And then on the flip side, we had the amazing new metal guitar of Call the Conqueror. <laughs> Call the Conqueror. What did you think of this score? Like a lot of this movie, it was serviceable, but very derivative. Um, there was... I heard hints of the original Conan score uh, by Basil Polidaris, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and But I also heard a little bit of the Terminator in there sure. at points. I definitely heard some Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And, you know, the movie, I thought the, the music was good for the scenes that it was in. It set the stage. It moved the movie along. But there was nothing new there. I'm not going to be going out and buying the vinyl copy of Conan the Barbarian soundtrack 2011. Yeah, the music for this Conan was done by Tyler Bates, who's done some good stuff. I like his Guardians of the Galaxy score. But notably, he did the score for 300, which is a good score. But I think that probably got him the gig here. Because uh-huh. I think they wanted that energy. And Speaking of 300, I think this movie ripped off the fact that there's all those mutants in 300. Because a lot of the villains in this movie seem like mutants, and they roared a lot. Yeah, they sounded like, like the sound guy sounded like he went to a farm and just basically poked bulls in order <laughs> to uh, get his what his bad guys were going to sound like. Yeah, but anyways, Tyler Bates, he's done some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't distracting, though, the way no. that Call the Conqueror uh, score was. True, yeah. Although that one was pretty uh, pretty incredible. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think that kind of wraps us up for Conan... 2011. What are your final thoughts on this movie? Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything to say that I didn't say at the outset, which is, you know, if you're a sword and sorcery fan, um, this is a good movie to throw on, watch with your pals, have a couple beers while you do it, um, and forget about it. But it doesn't hold a candle to the original Schwarzenegger, um, Conan the Barbarian, or for that matter, Conan the Destroyer. Um, I think it's probably a little bit better than Red Sonja. It's definitely better than Call the Conqueror, although I don't know if it's as fun as Call the Conqueror. Call the Conqueror kind of took this movie and made it even stupider. That ice cave in Call the Conqueror was pretty (laughs) memorable. Uh, Yeah, like for me, I enjoyed this movie. I just, as we said, I think it should have been shorter and more to the point. Like I think a movie like Call or, you know, a better example, Conan the Destroyer, those are just more fun because they are shorter, they're quicker, but you still get those set pieces out of them. You get some fun action beats. You get the poppy characters that you want. This one needed more of that and less of this kind of generic fantasy action stuff that other, like, lousy movies were doing. Like, why are you trying to replicate what, like, Clash of the Titans is doing or something? Like, that's not a good movie. So I think that that would have been maybe a better recipe for this movie because the other Conan movies have a ton of personality, I don't know that this one does. And, you know, a Conan movie should have a very specific personality. But overall, it's watchable, which I don't know that I would have said the first time. I don't know that I would have said, like, yeah, yeah, why not? It has some fun stuff in it. Yeah, I'll put it this way. My opinion of the movie has gone up slightly since I've seen it the first time. For sure. Maybe we just needed to smile after Aftermath. Yeah, well, you know what else, though, Cam? I mean, this also wraps up um, yeah. our Conan cinematic voyage. I mean, it, I, I assume that we're not going to be reviewing uh, the live-action show or the animated shows. No. Uh, although, you know, by all means, if you're a Conan fan, go and pick them up, uh, the animated show, more than the live-action show. So do we do a ranking 
of the Robert E. Howard adaptations. Okay, and we're going to exclude the James Purfoy, uh, Solomon Kane. Sure. <laughs> this is just barbarian movies, basically. Sure, movies that probably should have been Conan or, in fact, were Conan. Right. Even if their names happen to be uh, Cull or Kalidor. Right, so we've got the three Conans, we've got Red Sonya, and we've got Call the Conqueror. So we've got five. So, Tony, what is your number five, the weakest of the group? Well, no surprise here. I'm going to go with Red Sonya. Interesting. Huh. I think Red Sonya is not a particularly good movie, um, and it's not a lot of fun, but I think what drops Red Sonya, which I should love as a Schwarzenegger barbarian movie, um, with Bridget Nielsen, no less, Yeah. down as low as it is, is Prince Tarn. Oh, um, huh. The character of Prince Tarn, played by Ernie Reyes Jr., is one of the single most aggravating characters ever put to film. And I just can't say that about any of these other movies. You know, Conan 2011 had a kind of a bad thief that we didn't care about. Yeah. But he doesn't hold a candle to the aggravating nature of Ernie Reyes Jr. as Prince Tarn. That's my number five. What's your number five? I think my number five is Call the Conqueror. Okay. I mean, Call... I, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed watching that movie. I enjoyed talking about that movie. It is a complete crap pile. Like, it really, really is. <laughs> Maybe I just got a softer spot in my heart for complete crap piles. Sure. Um, And a softer spot in my heart for Kevin Sorbo, who's just got such a gee whiz kind of on-screen presence. But uh, I will say it is junk and... Call the Conqueror was my number four. Okay, so that's your number four. My number four is Red Sonja. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Red Sonja, I like the uh, the aquatic beast in that movie, because uh, I do like aquatic beasts. Um, there's some fun stuff in it, but uh, I think you and I, once again, just mostly enjoyed making fun of that movie more than we really did uh, <laughs> enjoy actually watching it. So what's your number three? Number three, I mean, I think it's obvious. I gotta go with um, the Jason Momoa Conan. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. For all the reasons that we've talked about at length today. Yeah. It's um it's a watchable fun in parts movie um that has some parts of it that are also kind of some some high impact violence. Yeah, but it's also got some parts that are kind of a drag where you're like, "Okay, this didn't need to be in here. Uh, I don't need to be watching this." I feel like there's more competence to it though than there was in Red Sonja or Call the Conqueror. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. more money, for sure. Oh, that's true as well. So number two, I think we can agree, is Conan the Destroyer. I'm certainly not putting Conan the Destroyer above Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. I mean, every, everyone in the world agrees, I think, that Conan the Destroyer is, uh, you know, a pretty good sword and sorcery movie. Yep. But the PG-13 rating after Conan the Barbarian dragged it down, and it just doesn't have the same impact and originality that the original conan did some great visuals though that i haven't forgotten like the big staircase or that like lake with like the crystal castle or whatever yeah and the energy that grace jones and wilt chamberlain and yeah. mako all bring to these very iconic supporting characters and the weirdness it it's is a, a very weird movie it's a weird weird movie yeah that wouldn't get made today we'll add yeah no some of that weirdness is a little too weird <laughs> if you get my drift <laughs> and you know what my number one obviously is conan the barbarian the original uh, sorry are we ranking the greatest movies of all time oh, well, or, or the greatest conan we're, we're not we're not the afi that's out of our <laughs> out of our depth but um the original conan 
very weird movie as well, filtered through the madness of John Milius. Just a perfect vision. Like, that movie is everything it needed to be and hit a bar that it really didn't need to hit. It could have just been a bloody, kind of stupid sword and sorcery movie, and it would have been a big hit, and people would have probably really enjoyed it, but it's better than that. Yeah, I mean, I think Conan the Barbarian is arguably one of the best sword and sorcery movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you're doing a list... Uh, yeah, of it, this type of movie, it really is. You know, I mean, you might put, like, some of the Lord of the Rings or something like that um, above it these days, but... Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, you know, but it's a top ten for sure. And, it, I mean, and of those movies, I mean, I'm biased because I'm such a big Schwarzenegger fan. It's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. And I am looking forward to when we do our ranking the Schwarzenegger films and we can consider where it lands. Because I think it's going to be tough when we get to those top Schwarzeneggers because it is a very, very tough competition between, you know, your you know Terminator movies and uh, Conan and Predator. I think that's going to be really interesting later down the road. Uh, you didn't mention Aftermath. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> or Sabotage. Okay, so that wraps us up for... Conan the Barbarian, 2011, and I guess the Conan series. It's a little bittersweet. It is a little bittersweet, but don't worry, Conan. Uh, we'll be back for a visit uh, once in a while, I'm sure. That's right. Okay, so you can, of course, reach us via email at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at arniegeddonpod. Tony, how do they get hold of you? You can find me, Tony G. That's Tony like the name. G like the letter at arniegeddon.com. Feel free as well to download us direct from the source at www.arnigan.com. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at Cam V as in Valeria. Where art thou, Smith? And of course, leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Much appreciated. Okay. So, as always, we'll be back. <laughs>